Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 64, Mr Grumpy and Mr Crazy. In his early life, as we have seen, Tiberius Claudius Nero was a capable and reasonably popular general, but by the time he became emperor, he was a very, very grumpy man. He had been born in 42 BC. His father had been an important man, but was never likely to be emperor, and when Tiberius was born, Rome was still theoretically a republic, so nobody was expecting to be emperor. It was only when his mother Livia married Octavian that Tiberius became part of the family that would rule Rome for nearly a hundred years. Tiberius had reason to be grumpy. His enforced marriage to Julia was especially irritating, and by the time he became emperor, he was not popular with the people, the army, or the senate. This especially rankled as his popularity compared very unfavourably with that of Augustus. Tiberius didn't enjoy being the most powerful man on earth, but the new emperor did his best to rule well early in his reign. He followed Augustus in calling himself Princeps and not Emperor, and refused a number of the other titles offered to him. In particular, he refused to call himself Augustus, a title which he would have been entirely within his rights, unofficially of course, to take. His direct orders were few, and he seemed to prefer that the Senate act on its own without bothering him too much. Rome carried on as it had under Augustus. There were a few mutinies in the legions, which Tiberius sent his son Drusus to sort out. Drusus was a fine speaker and good leader, and he managed to bring the soldiers back into line. The new emperor showed something of what was to come later in his reign with his treatment of his ex-wife, the disgraced daughter of Augustus, Julia. She was still in captivity, and the exact time and cause of her death are unknown. She either died late in 14 AD or early the following year, almost certainly of starvation. There are many theories about the cause. Did Tiberius order she should die in this way? Did she learn the fate of posthumous Agrippa, her last surviving son, and simply give up? We'll never know. Either way, Tiberius was rid of the woman he despised, which would certainly have pleased him. Tiberius, though, was far less pleased when another revolt broke out among the troops on the Rhine. This time, it was Germanicus who was sent to sort it out. The troops tried to convince Germanicus to join them and get rid of the new emperor. The young man refused completely, and eventually brought them under control. Tiberius's relationship with his adopted son was a complicated one. Some sources indicate he preferred Germanicus over his own son, Drusus. Some indicate that Tiberius feared Germanicus, aware that the greater popularity of the young man could be dangerous for his own rule. The truth is probably somewhere in between. Tiberius, grumpy but fundamentally decent at the beginning of his reign, probably thought very highly of Germanicus. Tiberius, though, paranoid and fearful a few years later, would have been very much more watchful. If Tiberius was worried that Germanicus may lead a rebellion against him, he would have had much to fuel those thoughts. A rebellion led by the young man would have a good chance of being successful. Tiberius praised Germanicus in public. Maybe in private, he was seething. Germanicus decided that the legionaries' mutinous activities stemmed from boredom and that he needed to give them something to do. He found the ideal solution, start some campaigns against the tribes in Germania. In 15 AD, he marched against a tribe called the Chatti, and then against the Cherusci. There were many victories and the people of Rome saw these victories as payback for the disaster of the Tudorburg forest. Germanicus and his forces eventually found their way to the site of that battle. 
There were countless bones of Roman soldiers left in the dark woods. Germanicus ordered they be buried with honours. Best of all, though, two of the three legionary standards lost by Varus were recovered by Germanicus and his men. This was a huge morale boost and certainly settled the seditious tendencies within the Rhine legions. It's during these campaigns that his youngest son, Gaius, was dressed up as a tiny soldier and received the nickname by which he is known today, Caligula. Despite being good for morale, the German campaigns never amounted to much. No territory was taken, as the local knowledge of the barbarians gave them an advantage in the fighting. The legions could win victories on the battlefield, but couldn't win a war against what amounted to guerrilla fighters. Job done, Germanicus returned to Rome and was given a full triumph. He was the last general who wasn't an emperor to receive this honour. After this, the celebration was reserved for the top man alone. Germanicus was given the title of Imperium Maius and rule over the provinces in the east. In 18 AD, he served as consul with the emperor as his colleague. This really was the highest honour, and points to him being preferred over Drusus II as the successor to Tiberius. Again, this throws doubt over the supposed jealousy which the emperor was supposed to have. What happened next, though still shrouded in mystery, points the other way. While in the east, Germanicus secured the territory of Cappadocia for the empire and installed the first Roman governor. Then he went to visit Egypt. This, under Augustus's rule that no senator could go to Egypt, wasn't allowed. He was warmly welcomed when he got there. This act definitely riled Tiberius. Germanicus returned to the east, to Syria, where he found a situation which gave him considerable concern. The governor of the province, Gnaeus Calpurnius Piso, had undone some of the arrangements that Germanicus had made. Germanicus removed Piso from his position. The former governor left and withdrew to a nearby island. Germanicus, though, was ill. He is said to have suspected Piso of cursing him and poisoning him. On his deathbed, he accused the former governor of killing him. Piso had been a friend and appointee of Tiberius, and so the finger of suspicion was pointed firmly at the emperor. And the finger was pointed by someone very influential. Agrippina, wife of Germanicus and granddaughter of Augustus, publicly declared that Piso had killed her husband and hinted at the involvement of agents of the emperor. Tiberius responded by having Piso tried for the crime. If Piso expected his friendship with the emperor to count for anything at the trial, he was bitterly disappointed. Realising all was lost, he killed himself. Germanicus died in 19 AD. He was given a fine funeral and his ashes placed in the mausoleum of Augustus. There was much mourning in Rome for this genuinely popular man. After the death of Germanicus, there was only one person who could be heir and the next emperor, and that was Tiberius' son Drusus. Agrippina, though, would not keep out of the politics of the Julio-Claudian family and push the claims of her eldest sons, Nero, no, not that Nero, and Drusus, who we are calling Drusus III. Because of the popularity of Germanicus, there was a lot of support for them. Tension between Agrippina and Tiberius grew. She asked for permission to marry again. Tiberius refused. The emperor didn't like the general duties of organising the government of a huge empire, and so, like Augustus, he relied heavily on his best friend. Unfortunately, Tiberius's best mate was not of the same calibre as Marcus Agrippa. In fact, quite the opposite. Tiberius's right-hand man was called Lucius Sejanus. 
Sejanus was made Praetorian Prefect, leader of the Praetorian Guard in 15 AD. He was hugely ambitious, wanted nothing but power, and would stop at nothing to get it. He used the Emperor to further his ambitions. He stopped people talking to Tiberius unless he wanted them to, and he ran the Empire while Tiberius stayed in the palace. Tiberius was not an inherently bad man. He just really didn't want to be Emperor, and didn't want to do the things that an Emperor should do. As he got older, he relied on Sejanus more and more, and Sejanus had many people executed who didn't agree with him. For a few years, in the 20s AD, Lucius Sejanus was as powerful as the Emperor himself. He wanted even more power though, only one thing was standing in his way. The Emperor's son Drusus couldn't stand Sejanus, and it was clear that if Drusus became Emperor, Sejanus would lose all of his power, and possibly his life. Sejanus, quite understandably, was not happy about this at all. He went about making sure this wouldn't happen by starting an affair with Drusus's wife, Livilla. In 23, tragedy struck the Julio-Claudian family yet again. Drusus too died mysteriously. Sejanus then asked Tiberius if he could marry Drusus's widow, but Tiberius refused. It was only many years later that the poor emperor discovered that Drusus had been poisoned in a plot devised by his best friend Sejanus and his daughter-in-law, Livilla. Tiberius seemed to be withdrawing into himself even further. He continued to leave the running of the empire to Sejanus and made no efforts towards managing the succession. For many years, there was no obvious heir, and Tiberius made no attempt to promote one. Tiberius was devastated by the death of his only son. He ended up getting fed up with his mother, the Augusta, Livia, who kept trying to interfere. The emperor withdrew from the public scene entirely, and in 26, left to live in his private villa on the island of Capri. He would be emperor for another 11 years, but he never again returned to Rome. He lived his life on Capri, forever pretending that one day he would return to the capital, but he never did. Lucius Sejanus laughed and became even more powerful. While he was away from Rome, Tiberius became scared that the family of Germanicus would try to kill him and take power for themselves. He ordered Sejanus to exile Germanicus's wife Agrippina and her two eldest sons. Gaius, who will now call by his nickname Caligula, was too young to be any danger, and Tiberius decided the boy should come and live with him on Capri. The Augusta finally died in 29 AD, aged 86. Tiberius claimed he had too much work to do on Capri to return to Rome for the funeral. He sent Caligula, now 16, to Rome to deliver the funeral oration. He refused to make his mother a god, and later removed all the honours granted to her by the Senate after she died. In 29, Agrippina and Nero were exiled to the Pontian Islands off the coast of Naples. There was a huge outcry against this, but Tiberius, remote on Capri, didn't care. Agrippina's second son, Drusus III, was arrested in 30 and kept in Rome. Nero was forced to commit suicide in 31. Poor Agrippina remained defiant and was frequently beaten by her jailers. One beating was so bad that she lost an eye. She starved to death in 33. It's not known whether she starved herself or, that, or whether she was refused food. Drusus III died of starvation the same year. One can only imagine the effect that this had on poor Caligula. His mother and two brothers had effectively been put to get death by the regime 
and he was living on Capri with the man who was responsible for it. It's entirely understandable if seething hatred for the ancient emperor welled up inside him. It's also understandable if it drove him into madness. He was careful not to show his feelings in front of Tiberius. In 31, the emperor discovered that it was Sejanus who had arranged for his son Drusus to be killed. He was mad with rage. He sent a letter to the Senate, which started by praising Sejanus, and then suddenly denounced him as a traitor and demanded his arrest. Chaos followed. The senators had no clue what to do. Allies of Sejanus ran for their lives. The others wondered if this was a test of their loyalty. But the Praetorian Guard, now under the command of Sutorius Macro, arrested Sejanus. Tiberius's ex-best mate was executed, as were his family and Livilla. Anyone allied with Sejanus was at risk. Many former friends and followers were put to death. Mr Grumpy was now Mr Vengeful. Treason trials and executions became very frequent. Tiberius himself later claimed that he'd turned on Sejanus because he had been told about Sejanus's plot against the family of Germanicus. This is not very likely. Sejanus's career and fall, and that of those around him, was a lesson in the dangers of becoming too close to the emperor. To achieve power under the emperor you needed to get close, but getting too close could lead to catastrophe and death for you and your friends. It was later said that Tiberius, if he took a dislike to you when you came to see him on Capri, would have you thrown over the cliffs into the sea. This story, as well as many of the others about Tiberius's behaviour later in life, is probably a dramatic exaggeration. While all this was going on, the empire kept on functioning. The administration put in place by Augustus kept ticking over without the need for an emperor actually running anything. Tiberius made vague noises about the succession, but as there weren't many Julio-Claudian males left, there wasn't a lot of choice. Tiberius variously hinted he would be followed either by Caligula or by his own grandson, Tiberius Gemellus. The second emperor of Rome died in 37 AD, still on Capri. He'd reigned for 23 years and was 77 years old, which was a great age in Roman times. The people rejoiced in the death of this grumpy, vicious old emperor. The crowds in the streets cried out to the Tiber with Tiberius and wanted to throw the old man's body into that river. This didn't happen, but the Senate, unsurprisingly, did not declare Tiberius a god as they had Augustus. During the reign of Tiberius, somebody called Jesus Christ was crucified in Judea. Tiberius's will stated that Caligula and his cousin Gemellus should reign together, but Caligula was not going to let this happen. He was in the right place at the right time, and he had the support of the prefect Macro. He had the dead emperor's will declared null and void, on the grounds the emperor was insane. Quite ironic, given what happened next. Caligula was very popular. He was the son of Rome's beloved Germanicus, and the crowds cheered when he arrived in Rome on March the 28th. But four years later, he was left lying in a pool of blood, killed by his own bodyguards. So, what went wrong? Well, nothing for a while. Apart from Gemellus being quickly killed, Caligula's actions in the first six months of his reign were generally good and popular. People who had been exiled were recalled, soldier pay was increased, the new dashing young emperor stopped the treason trials so no more people were put to death, he announced great and wonderful gladiatorial games for the entertainment of the people, and he gave the Praetorian Guard a donative, lots of money. 
He brought the bones of his dead mother and brothers back to Rome and had them buried in the imperial mausoleum. It was apparent, even in these early days, that there was a dark side to Caligula. Early in his reign, he bestowed great honours on his grandmother Antonia, who had raised him after the death of Germanicus. Pretty soon, though, he began to tire of her. Maybe she tried to exert a calming and positive influence on him. He treated her so badly that it drove her to suicide. After he'd reigned for six months, things changed, and the dark side of Gaius Caesar Augustus Germanicus came to the fore. Caligula became very ill, and everyone thought he was going to die, but he didn't. Some patricians prayed to the gods and begged that Caligula should live, and the gods should take them instead. Caligula recovered, but the Caligula that now ruled the empire would no longer be loved by the people. Some say Caligula went mad, and some say he just didn't know how to deal with being so powerful. Whatever the reason, many strange and terrible things happened during his short reign. It seems the only thing he learned about being emperor from Tiberius was that he could do whatever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to do it. When he recovered from his illness, the emperor learned about the senators pleading to the gods that they should die instead of him. He asked the senators why they were still alive, given that he had recovered. He insisted they kill themselves so they didn't annoy the gods. The terrified and stunned senators did as they were told. A few years later, Caligula decided that he was a god himself. He began to appear in public dressed as various deities, and he was referred to as Jupiter in official documents. Caligula didn't like the Senate, and he did his best to taunt and annoy the senators. He told them his horse would be more use as a senator than they were. He was married four times in his short life, but he got on better with his sisters, Agrippina the Younger, Drusilla and Julia Lavilla. He was especially fond of Drusilla, and he forced the Senate to make her a god when she died in 38 AD. Then he showed even more mad tendencies. Caligula decided he wanted to have a great military victory like those of Augustus, so he went to the Rhine borders and pretended to have the soldiers fight against the Gauls dressed as Germans. He declared a great victory and returned to Rome to celebrate a triumph. The emperor then decided to invade the island of Britannia, the island visited by Julius Caesar, but when he got to the English Channel, he made his soldiers collect seashells, which he decided belonged to the god Neptune. He then declared he had won a victory against a god. What really made Caligula hated, though, was that he had many, many people executed. Often there was no reason. He just executed people because he didn't like them. Sometimes he pretended the people were plotting against him. Sometimes he didn't even bother with that. He would make the families of the people that he condemned to death watch their loved one's execution. Once, someone complained they were too ill to attend, so Caligula sent round his personal carriage to pick him up so that he could be there. Everyone was terrified. Everyone was waiting to see if imperial agents would suddenly turn up at their door and drag them away for execution. In 39, there was a terrible financial crisis in Rome, primarily caused by Caligula's wild generosity to some, his payments to others for support and his general extravagance. Many huge building projects were also carried out. Some of these were for the people of Rome and some for himself. He also had grain ships lined up to form a floating bridge between two ports so he could ride his horse across the bay dressed as Alexander the Great. It is said that the use of the grain ships led to a brief famine. 
In order to recover the money, the emperor started to tax everything. Legal cases, marriages, anything which he could put a value on. He even auctioned the lives of gladiators at the games and forced centurions who had won treasure on military campaigns to hand it over to the state. There is, of course, some debate as to the truth of the crazy activities of Caligula. It may be that some of them didn't actually happen. It may be that others are exaggerated. It's generally acknowledged, though, that he went from beloved son of Germanicus to hated tyrant in the space of a couple of years. All the while the craziness was going on, the Augustan administration kept on running the empire. Eventually, the people, the Senate and the Praetorian Guard had had enough. One of the patrician tribunes, Cassius Chorea, was often picked on by Caligula and he started a conspiracy to kill the emperor. It's not known how widespread the conspiracy was, although some senators were involved. On the 21st of January, 41, the conspirators cornered the emperor as he was leaving a talk he was having with a group of actors and they stabbed him to death. He was only 28 years old and had been emperor for four years. Cassius had a plan for what should happen next but the Praetorian Guard didn't know what it was. What happened next was one of the most unlikely events in Roman history. In the next chapter, we will find out what it was. So, until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.